Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. Hello and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number 29, Menopausal Medicine and Sex After Cancer with gynecologist and certified menopause practitioner, Dr. Pam Godry. Y'all, I am super excited for today's episode because it hits at the heart of what so many breast cancer patients have been wanting to know. Following a trauma such as breast cancer, both the diagnosis and the treatments themselves, women can often experience both those physical and emotional barriers to intimacy, and that can lead to feeling isolated even more. It can be viewed as yet another piece of our lives that cancer has ripped away from us. Tons of women have been echoing this concern. Now, I've spoken in previous episodes about and talking about intimacy, there's this need for communication. And that is absolutely critical, no doubt. But today we're calling in the experts and exploring this topic even further because so many women have just been echoing this concern and practically begging me to do an episode on it. It is a very real issue. Sex post-cancer, it can be hard. I have heard women tell me it hurts or I don't want to and it's hurting my marriage or I feel robbed and I just want my life back. Help, please help. So today, to address what everyone has been asking, what can I do to improve sex and intimacy post-cancer and exploring a variety of concerns, both those physical and emotional limitations, questions about low libido, vaginal dryness, body image, grief, disconnect. To address these issues, we have with us today Dr. Pam Godry. Dr. Pam got her undergrad at the University of Georgia, graduated summa cum laude. She got her medical degree from the Medical College of Georgia and did her residency there and completed in 1993. She is a gynecologist and certified menopause practitioner specializing in menopausal medicine and intimacy counseling. She's been in practice for 27 years now. In 2008, she was the president of the Georgia Medical Society. In 2018, she opened the Georgia Center for Menopausal Medicine, which is a new type of practice that we're going to talk about more in today's episode as well. She's a North American Menopause Society Certified Menopause Practitioner. She is also certified in medical sex therapy from the Florida Sex Therapy Institute. And she is the author of the well-known book, Love, Sweat, and Tears, Keeping Romance Alive After Menopause, which a documentary was done based off of her book, starring both Dr. Pam Godry and Joan Rivers and Jenny McCarthy. Dr. Pam Godry, she is here to talk with us today about sex and intimacy after breast cancer. And again, as always, we are not diagnosing anything here. We are just having this straight up, very candid conversation about a topic that so many are asking about. 
What can women do to embrace, not hate, this new season of their lives? And what can we do as women to make it better? Thank you so much for joining us here today. We are just truly blessed to have you with us. So welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate you asking and asking my opinion. Thank you. So there is absolutely no doubt about it. Breast cancer stinks. There is not a thing about it that is fun. None of it. But what people may not realize that it is sometimes more than just losing part of your breast or all of your breast. Sometimes the treatments that we get that save our lives have some side effects that we end up having to deal with later as well. And they can send women into something called medically induced menopause. So let's break that down for people that don't know. What is menopause and what is medically induced menopause? Okay, well, that's good. Menopause is when your ovaries stop making eggs. And when your ovaries are out of eggs, they have no more estrogen. And then you have the effects of no more estrogen. So you can go through natural menopause where you kind of glide out and your estrogen slowly goes down over time to nothing. You can have surgical menopause where we take out your ovaries and you wake up and you are menopausal and you always will be. Instantaneously. Instantaneously. And then there's medical menopause, which really is we're giving you medications to induce a low estrogen or zero estrogen state. And this is done mainly for women who have estrogen receptors. And what I like to explain receptors are is like a catcher's mitt. So you have a catcher's mitt and that's a receptor. And what does a catcher's mitt like to have in it? It likes to have the ball because then there's a strike. When that receptor has its molecule, say it's estrogen, and it's in there and it's holding it, that cell works beautifully and the water goes in and out and the fluids go and the macrophages and everything that's supposed to go in and out of the cell wall works fine. When it doesn't have that molecule in there, it shrivels up. It's there, but it's all shriveled up and that cell doesn't work properly. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when a tumor has an estrogen receptor on it, we don't want it to work properly. Right. Right. We want it to shrivel up and die. Because we don't want that cancer cell. So we want to take that molecule out of that receptor, out of that catcher's mitt, and let that cell just work on its own however well it can. And if it dies, we want it to die. That's right. That's the way I've never never had it explained like that. I like that. So in a medical menopause, we're giving you a medication to block those receptors or to block the substance from getting in it. Right. Okay, so there's aromatase inhibitors. Estrogen can be made from your ovaries. Now, if your ovaries are gone, you're like, well, why would I need to take anything? Because you make estrogen in fat cells, Mm -hmm. and also your adrenal glands are making testosterone. And testosterone can use an enzyme called aromatase to change into estrogen. Ah. And your ovaries also make testosterone. So if you have some testosterone in your body, the aromatase, which is an enzyme, will change it into estrogen. So even if you don't have eggs or ovaries. It could still happen. It could still happen. So we give you an aromatase inhibitor Mm -hmm. so that the aromatase won't work. And those are those hormone blockers that some women, if they're estrogen, progesterone positive cancers, will have at the end of their treatment. Right. Just to keep everything estrogen free. Right. 
I like to think about it is the little Grinch taking that little speck of food away from the mouse. No yes. food for you. You can grow. <laughs> you don't have any food. Okay, so that's so that's menopause, medically induced menopause. What are some of the, the symptoms, aside from what's happening molecularly on the inside, what are some outward symptoms that women will experience? Oh, well, that's the horrible part. Uh, that's the part that people don't realize is right. coming, but it's coming. It is. Your hot flashes, you have estrogen receptors in your head, which control your temperature. I call it the thermonuclear zone. And then in your breasts, your uterus, and then all your pelvic tissues. When you take one of these drugs to medically induce menopause, it would be great if it just blocked the breast. Yeah. But unfortunately, it blocks all the receptors in your head so your hot flashes get worse. Mm. Right? Because if that molecule of estrogen is in your head estrogen receptor where your temperature is controlled, you don't have hot flashes. But if it's blocked, mm. you have hot flashes. We would love to block your breasts. We'd love to block your uterus so you don't have bleeding or a mm-hmm. period. And unfortunately, it blocks all your pelvic tissues. So all your tissues have estrogen receptors in it, your bladder, your vagina, around your rectum, and those cells shrivel up Mm -hmm. and that's where the loss of estrogen in your pelvis leads to severe vaginal dryness thinning of the vagina painful urination burning with urination burning of your vulva Mm -hmm. you know the tissue gets so thin at the external genitalia that it just burns Mm -hmm. and that's why people will say that intercourse is painful right It's your vagina works like an accordion. I know you saw the movie. Yes. I love to talk about the accordion. Her documentary, folks, is phenomenal. So Love, Sweat, and Tears. It just got taken off Netflix, but it is on Amazon. But the vagina, when it's healthy and those tissues are thick, has folds in it like Mm -hmm. an accordion. Mm -hmm. And when you have intercourse and it's distended, the vagina stretches out and then it stretches back and then it stretches out and back. And you have lots of tissue to allow that. But when you lose your estrogen there, the vagina just becomes a non-mobile tube. Yeah. And so it doesn't stretch. And when you do try to have intercourse, it's painful. It hurts. Yes. I've heard, I've heard that the hot flashes, night sweats too. That's another fun thing that women have to deal with the mood yes. mood is one the vaginal dryness um disinterest in sex i've also heard is a absolutely well and you know that's a chicken and egg thing yes if it hurts to have intercourse that's where i was going with why it. you why yep. would you want it okay i don't want to do something that's gonna hurt me right <laughs> um, you don't want to go to the doctor and get vaccines right you know you know inherently they're good for you and maybe you won't get shingles or pneumonia or mumps or something but gosh I don't want to go voluntarily and get hurt right right so you avoid it yes and we'll talk about some of the things that people can do here in a moment but I do want to just say that a lot of these symptoms that you're talking about that people will experience as a result of menopause even though they may experience them it doesn't have to be the ending of a woman's sex life right no, and that's my passion and goal for my life is here in this last part of my practice. My goal is to keep women and men intimate for the last 
third of their lives. Yeah. When nobody really cares if they're intimate for the rest right. of their lives. Right. And But there are things that you can do to maintain that intimacy, but we don't tell women what that is. Yeah. So one of the things I like to say is we send every little 11-year-old girl to school with a little pouch in her backpack with her favorite pad because she's tried them all and mm -hmm. another change of underwear and some butt wipes in a Ziploc bag and we have practiced with her what to say to her teacher when They're she gets prepared. her period and then you go through your reproductive life you have your babies and then nothing we tell you nothing but for 51 years your ovaries took care of your vagina and your estrogen took care of all this. Mm -hmm. Well, after 51, or when you go through menopause, either medically or surgically or naturally, after that, you have to take care of her. You have to take care of your vagina. And if you don't, she will shrivel up and go away. And it affects marriages. Yes, it does. And and I like in the documentary, you guys said, if you don't use it, you lose it. You lose it. Yes. And that's basically what you're talking about right there. Absolutely. There, I mean, we'll talk about things people can do to help with some of those symptoms so that you will want to take care of it because if you use it, it will be better. Right. So I like to explain it like a cast on an arm, especially a boy. <laughs> You've had a break in some bone. But when we were in medical school and a child, we were in the pediatric clinic and a child would get a cast off their arm, the attending would come by and say, you'll see a thousand casts come off watch the mom and you watch the mom and she, she sees that cast coming off and it smells and it's white and flaky and the muscles are hanging down and this arm looks dead yeah. and they put their hands to their face and you're like, Oh, here it comes, you know, but they're trying to be strong, mm -hmm. but she knows. And you know, that in three or four weeks of that kid moving that arm yeah. around, it's going to be fine. It's right. going to look good because, but when you don't use an organ, it shrivels up. Yeah. You put a cast on it, it shrivels up. If someone has a stroke, we send them home doing exercises and that kind right. of thing. But you can't you can't use your arm with exercising the way you use it. Like I'm sitting here talking, moving. Right. It will shrink up. And somebody with a stroke, their arms gets contracted. Mm -hmm. Right. If your one of your kidneys doesn't work or gets blocked, it will shrink up to nothing, and the other one will enlarge to compensate. Anytime you're not using an organ, it shrivels up. One of the things I like to show my patients is a normal size uterus mm -hmm. and a postmenopausal uterus. I have a picture here in the office of a postmenopausal uterus, tubes and ovaries, all in the palm of my hand. Oh, and wow. you can still see the palm of my hand. When you go through menopause and the body's not sending blood to the uterus so much anymore because you're not using it, it shrinks up in size. Right as will your vagina. So that's what's happening in menopause. And that's why people tend to, it, it can cause friction in marriages and stuff is because of the whole, it hurts. I don't want to, this is, you know, kind of what's going on, but there are things that women and men together, they can do to help make it so that they do want to do them. Right. Right. So let's talk about a few of those. We've heard about, I think it's called hormone therapy, right? Now, one thing I I do know, correct me if I'm wrong, is that if you've had cancer that's estrogen and progesterone, then you're not really a candidate for that treatment. Is that for all cancers or is that specific for... I'm so glad. That is the best question in the whole world. 
doctors are terrified of estrogen. If you've had other cancers like lung cancer, pancreatic cancer, colon cancer, there is no reason for you not to use estrogen. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you get radiation to these areas, say somebody with lymphoma gets radiated on their chest, their vagina, their mucous membranes are going to dry up. Your mouth gets dry. Mm-hmm. Your eyes get dry. Your gut gets dry. Your vagina gets dry. It doesn't matter where you're radiated. And the the radiation doctors, you know, they've done everything they can to direct it right to where that cancer is. But your vagina is going to dry up if you get that radiation. Mm-hmm. There's no reason with all those other cancers not to use estrogen. Mm-hmm. But the medical oncologists are terrified of it. Right. And I get it. Yeah. I get it. But don't use it for everybody. If it's estrogen dependent, such as endometrial cancer mm-hmm. or breast cancer, mm-hmm. that's really it. Yeah. That's really it. And even in endometrial cancer or uterine cancer, if it's real early stage, I put them back on estrogen if it's real early. So, for example, my cancer was estrogen and progesterone positive. I probably shouldn't take it. What about somebody that was, say, triple negative? It's breast cancer, but it's triple negative. Does it? Ah, that's such a great question. We're too scared to give it to you. Ah, okay. Because triple negative breast cancer tends to be the worst actor. Mm -hmm. Um, It has the worst outcomes. We can't treat it as effectively because we have nothing to block we don't know what receptor to block. We, right. we have nothing to say, you can't be fed. Right, And right. so I'm going to starve you, cancer. Right. With the estrogen and progesterone, we can starve it by stopping your estrogen. But here we, we don't have anything. So more in, studies need to be done. Intuitively, and, yeah. you're right. Yeah. We're just... Okay, so maybe so maybe let's not necessarily go down that path for breast cancer. But that doesn't mean that everything is lost. There are still other things. So let's talk about let's explain vaginal dryness, right? The the causes of that you kind of already went into is being the decrease of estrogen leading up to that. In your documentary, we touched on this as well, how you said if you don't use it, you lose it. Okay, and then you you kind of explain the science perfectly about the whole blood supply and everything. So there is real science going on is why this is a thing, why it's happening to you. But women can do things about it. So there's lubricants. So I have a recipe for your vaginal health. And okay. every patient Let's- who comes in here... Get your pencils out, ladies. Gets my uh, <laughs> handout, which is uh, my recipe for your vaginal health. And let's just say a normal, non-cancer, no problems woman comes in here and she's 48 years old. The average age of menopause naturally in this country is 51, mm-hmm. which means that the ovaries start failing around age 47. You still may be getting your period, mm-hmm. but it's going out, mm-hmm. okay? At around age 47, 48... I start them on vaginal moisturizers. Now, you did not leave the house this morning without moisturizing your face. It's winter time, so you probably put lotion all over your body and probably on your legs. Did you moisturize your vagina? <laughs> no, because <clears throat> we don't think about moisturizing our vaginas. Yeah. Okay? But I can tell you that I moisturize my vagina every day because I am menopausal and she has no moisture. Mm-hmm. And so you have got to take care of her now. It is up to you to take care of her, just like you take care of your face. Mm-hmm. Now, if you had a facelift, 
would you stop taking care of your face and say, oh, I don't need to wash my face anymore. I don't need to put on moisturizer anymore. No, you spent $10,000 or whatever. I'm going to take care of this face. (laughs) I'm going to take good care of this. Well, you only have one vagina. You cannot get another one. It's a classic machine and there are no parts. And so you have to take care of her and lubricate her, just like the pistons and, and yeah. everything in a, in a classic engine. You have to keep everything well lubricated so that everything works So well. lubricating regularly, not just prior to intercourse. Right. There's a difference between moisturizing and lubricating. Moisturizing on a regular basis, meaning every day, mm-hmm. a little bit of moisturizer, and you're, we're sitting in my exam room, and you see that there's a bottle of coconut oil here. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to use a moisturizer, you can use coconut oil. Just put a little bit, I don't want oil dripping out of your vagina, right. but a little bit to just, just wipe on the walls to keep her soft and pliable. Mm-hmm. Think about your hands in the wintertime. Yeah. For me, washing my hands 500 times a right, week, right. at the end of the week sometimes in the winter, they crack. They crack, right? And so I got yeah. lotion putting on them all the time. Does that cure that? No, but it sure makes it feel, feel better. better. That's it doesn't right. crack. People say, I feel like knives are in my vagina. I feel like mm-hmm. sandpapers in my vagina. But that's how your hands feel in the winter when you right. don't moisturize them. That's how your face looks. You get all crepey mm-hmm. and stuff if you don't use a moisturizer as you get older. So moisturize every day. Every day. And if it's painful before sex, lubricants, they can be your friends. Yes, lubricants. There's no menopausal women. I should never say never in medicine. (laughs) There are few menopausal women that don't have to use a lubricant for intercourse. It's physiology. There's nothing you can do about it. And there should be no shame. None. It doesn't mean, and, and sometimes, you know, men come in, they don't, My wife doesn't love me anymore. She doesn't get wet anymore. I'm like, that has nothing to do with her loving you anymore. She has no estrogen. Those lubrication glands don't work anymore. Right. They don't make lubricant. They're dry as a bone. Right. So we have to put it in. So we have to put in the effort. Mm -hmm. We have to put in the effort. Okay. So tell us about toys too and why they are so helpful. So the best thing you can do for your vagina is to use it. Okay. Now there's a lot of women who don't have a partner or have not been able to use it for a long time. Say they've been going through treatment and maybe had a recurrence and, you know, next thing you know, five, seven years have gone by and then it's over and you want to get your intimacy back, but maybe you don't have a partner now, but you can bring the blood supply back. When you use an organ, when you use an extremity, it yeah. brings blood flow. Right. That kid who had the cast on, that arm was immobile. Your body shut off the blood supply to that arm except to heal the bone because it's not being used. It doesn't right. need. The men in Korea who were in the snow and their ears fell off, their noses fell off, their fingers fell off, their toes. The body was protecting the major organs, the brain, the chest. Right. And the abdomen. And the blood is diverted where it's needed. Right. If you don't use your vagina, it will dry up. It's like right. putting a cast in there. Right. What is the frequency? You know everybody out there is going to arise. So, so <laughs> I, I have, an, and you see, I have vibrators right here in my exam room to show my patients. And I'm, you know what? There's two reasons for a vibrator. One, pleasure. 
knock yourself out. <laughs> have a ball, okay? <laughs> it's If you haven't ever used one to have an orgasm, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's quick. It's not messy. It does not take the place of a man. There's, right. it's not, you know, your, your vibrator will not love you. Right. But knock yourself out. I'm talking about physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And women, when they use a vibrator for pleasure, tend to just use it externally on the clitoris. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for you to do that, but that's not my goal. Right. Is to, you know, I hope you have an orgasm. That's good. But I want you to take a vaginal vibrator, mm-hmm. put it on high vibration, and put it in your vagina. And the to vibration yeah. will bring the blood flow. Uh, now, a lot of the oncologists and, and uh, other physicians who are trying to help will give you a dilator. Uh-huh. I'm a visual aid girl. I keep trying to grab my... <laughs> so... We're putting it right here for the microphone, folks. So... <laughs> Great, you have a dilator. That's not bringing any blood supply to your vagina. Yeah. It's stretching it out a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And maybe you have to start with some dilators because there are some women who come in and I can't get even one finger in their yeah. vagina. And they're going to start with, I start with little vibrators actually, because right. I want the blood flow. I want that shaking and vibration. Right. And I want her, that brain to say, wow, she's using that organ. I need to send some blood down there. Yeah. And when you use an organ, it's, blood flow comes. And so this is the, these are things that everybody can do. You don't have to go to the doctor to get a prescription to go buy a vibrator or whatever. Like, you can do that for yourself on your own. Absolutely. And there are safe places to go. I have a store right here in my office for mm-hmm. my patients. I'm not making money on a retail store. Yeah. It's, it's nice. It's a little extra. But what was happening is my patients would say, will you go buy me one? Because... There's it's, shame, right? It's shameful. It, yes. Okay. We need to rip the Band-Aid off of this. Yes. So, and talk about it. This is why I wanted to do this episode is because so many people are like, oh my God, Joyce, you got to do an episode on this. My poor husband, like they're not getting anything right now because I just don't want to or it hurts me or all this stuff. And they may confide with me one-on-one, but to actually like talk about it and ask for help, I think people get a little... A little self-conscious. Absolutely. But there are safe places to buy them. There's a website called Covenant Spice, and that was in the movie as well. She's a Christian woman, and she wanted women to be able to do it safely. And there's lots of information on that website. I have a little online store. A lot of the menopausal specialists have a little online store. Which I'm going to get everybody um, at the end of the episode your information. But while we're talking about it, what is your website so that they can they can have menopausalmedicine.com? Okay. And one of the last menu tabs is shopping, and you can just and I, there's not a lot. There's 15 things right. in there maybe, but you can buy a vibrator now. If you want specialty vibrators and all this other stuff, there's yeah. other spots for that. Right. My goal is to let women buy vibrator safely mm-hmm. and without getting emails to buy right. other things. Right. You know, right. I, me and my employees are the only people that it's, send it out. Yeah. I don't keep an email list. Right. I send you it discreetly in a yeah. United States Postal Service right. bag. It's not going to have something plastered right. all over the outside. So, and you, yeah. you get it and you can use it on your own. And um, the patients can call here and ask advice if they want to. And if it doesn't work, they call here and I answer the phone and I say, oh, I'll send you another one. Right. You know, so it, it's low key. There's no shame. There's Because it's just like any other part of your health. 
Right. You don't mind going to physical therapy and working your arms and legs. It's just that the physical therapy that I prescribe for my patients is done in private. Right. Okay. So the Mona Lisa touch, I saw that on your website. What is that? Explain that to us. So this is a carbon dioxide laser. So women go and they get CO2 laser of their face Mm -hmm. and it increases the collagen and elastin because our yeah. <laughs> our face falls right. and the skin falls down and our collagen and elastin goes away. And the carbon dioxide laser technology stimulates the collagen and elastin to come back. Right. And it causes a little injury in the skin. And what happens when your skin is injured? Blood supply comes to fix it. Right. So it, it stimulates blood supply, proteoglycans and fibroblasts, and it strengthens and beefs up the tissue. So your face gets thicker. The technology is exactly the same for the Mona Lisa touch laser. Mm -hmm. We have a vaginal probe and an external probe because our external genitalia loses its collagen and elastin and falls and hangs. (laughs) So we use a carbon dioxide laser in there and it's a vaginal probe and you just laser on the way out. Right. And it causes a little bit of an injury, which stimulates blood supply and... And its whole purpose is to create that elasticity, right? Yes. To bring everything back and thicken it up. And um, so then, okay, what, first of all, does that hurt? Is it painful? No, no. So the external part is the only part that is uncomfortable, but we put topical numbing cream. Mm -hmm. I use a combination of three local anesthetics uh, on the outside vulvar skin. The the vagina doesn't hurt at all. It feels like somebody turned on a vibrator in there. It just buzzes. Yeah. Is it permanent or like does it require upkeep? So there's three treatments and then people choose to come back once a year for one treatment, Mm -hmm. but not everybody has to. Okay. So that's another option that is. is available. And for that's people. nice because it's non hormonal, but it's right. expensive and not covered by insurance. By insurance. That, and that's always a thing. And you gotta love insurance. Yeah, I know. So, what else can cancer survivors do to help address the painful intercourse? We've got lubricants, there's Mona Lisa Touch, um, using, making sure you use it. I also saw that you had talked about on your website medical sex therapy. And when I was looking, you had menopausal counseling that kind of combined marriage counseling and medical sex therapy. And of course, I was intrigued, as I'm sure our listeners are intrigued as well. What the heck is that? Well, I hate sex, the word sex therapy. I don't, I like, don't like to call myself a sex therapist, although I do have that certification. I was um, terrified to Google it for the longest time. I was, people are like, you got to do something. I was like, I can't type in sex therapy in my Google. I just can't do it. <laughs> I like but, to call it intimacy counselor. Okay. Intimacy counseling. And that's exactly what I'm doing. What I like to do is get a couple when they have the diagnosis. And I have had that my husband had cancer and died in 2011, and he was diagnosed in 2005. And we had, you know, five years of treatments and all, you know, just 10 surgeries and just on and on and on. You're so tired. Yeah. And yeah. you're so emotional. We had small children. I mean, you're so emotionally wrecked. Yes. That you don't think that much about having intercourse. You know, the first we were just. I'm sorry. Can we wait? Yeah, okay. I can't do it right now. And but then it's over. You know. Then you're like, gosh, it's it's over, mm-hmm. and we can get that part of our lives back again. 
And then you can't because it's not working anymore. And unfortunately, in his case, he couldn't have an erection anymore. And we went to a couple of doctors. And this is where, where you were the drive to do what you're doing in your podcast was so that other women could find out what you're doing. The drive for me to start this was what happened to us. But we went to several doctors and here you have two physicians sitting in front of you. Okay. You say, well, you're alive. Why are you worried about that? Oh, yes. And I thought, you know, there's no reason for this. Why was it not addressed ever? So my whole program, my passion for what drove me to do the book and the movie, and now there's a, there's going to be a specialty one day, mm-hmm. um, but we call it survivorship medicine. Yes. And what that is, is I want to get a couple, when you get the diagnosis, so say you had your diagnosis, I want your oncologist to send you and your husband to me then. Right. Before your treatment has started. And I say, look, I know this is the last thing on your mind right now, but one day when this is over, it's going to be so important because it's the normalizing of your life again. Yes. You know, I want the normal back. I, I want to not worry about what's in the refrigerator that makes me nauseous to look at. I want to eat whatever I want and I want to have sex again. I want to, I want my life back. I want my life back. Right. And you don't, but there are things you can do while you're getting the radiation. There is a man who did this for his wife who was getting radiation therapy. Mm -hmm. It's called cool water cones and it's made of glycerin. And these cones, if you run them underwater, they'll just dissolve but you keep them in the fridge and they're cold and you can use them to keep your vagina open during your radiation therapy. And it's just glycerin. And he developed it for her while she was going through this radiation therapy. So when I have somebody who comes in and is going to have radiation, one of the first things I tell them is moisturize your vagina regularly, get the cool water cones and keep your vagina open. Yeah. You know, during the treatment. And I know you don't want to. And I know you're like, oh, I can't do one more thing. One more thing. One more thing. thing. But it will be important to you one day. In the the aftermath. Right. Because that's one thing that I keep hearing from women is that you think that you get to the survivorship line and you think, oh, life is just going to be as it was. I made it through everything. And what we are finding is your normal now is not what it was before. But survivorship should start the day you're diagnosed. I like that. I like that a lot. The day you are diagnosed, you are becoming a survivor and you got to do things to to get, because it's going to happen. Most cancers are not a death sentence anymore. It's a chronic illness. Mm -hmm. If, If people worried as much about diabetes and heart disease as they did cancer, People would live so much longer right. because we don't treat diabetes and heart disease as a terrible thing right. in this country of good medical care. You know, we watch you and we try to help you do this, but people cheat on their, but nobody yeah. would cheat on their no, estrogen keep me alive. therapy. Keep me alive. Yeah. They're trying to be kept alive. So, That's right. But actually, diabetes and heart disease and a lot of cancers are actually worse. Yeah. You know, it, it's a blip on your lifeline. It may be two or three years of, That's right. of horror, but then you're going to come back and maybe you'll get a recurrence in 10 yeah. years. Okay. A little but we're going to treat that and right. maybe you'll have another bad year or two. 
like a bad pregnancy. We right. put you on bed rest the whole time. Right. You know, unfortunately, you don't get a little baby to love. Right. But you you go on and you probably die of something else. Right. But during those treatment times, take good care, take care. of, you know, from a gynecologist standpoint, take good care of your vagina. Yeah. And protect her because you're going to want to use her yeah. again. Yeah. Because life isn't over. There's it's life not. after. There's life after cancer. You also talked about in your documentary about all day romance and then it being the little things and how that can be helpful too. T- talk to us about that a little bit. Oh, uh, you know, for women, I love you is not necessarily intercourse. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples of things that make us feel loved. Are walking and you hold my hand. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you're in the movie theater, you put your arm around me and whisper in my ear periodically something, you know, about the movie. You come to my office and I can't leave for lunch, but you bring a picnic basket and we have a picnic on the floor of my office in front of all my coworkers. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm dying now. Okay, you take me to the beach and you put on some beach music and you dance with me in the dunes. Nobody else is around. Yeah. But you just want to dance with me. You tell me I'm beautiful when I feel badly. It's the small thing. It's the tiny little things we crave, the, the romance mm-hmm. and the I love you in those tiny little ways. Sometimes a man will come in here and he'll say, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to send in January a card through the U.S. Postal Service, snail mail, and just say, I love you and appreciate you and I don't tell you enough. Okay, right. Everybody's out. I know, right? Everybody's out. Yes, please do that. (laughs) Three months later in April, get the flowers at the end of the bucket at Publix or Kroger at our six ninety nine because they're going to throw them out tomorrow, and just come home with that and say, "I was in Publix and I thought of you and I brought you some flowers." And then in August, three months later, send the card again, and then in October, bring home the flowers. Yeah. And the next time you say. What do you think? Can you want to have some? You know, you want to have sex? She's going to go. He loves me. He loves me. You know, he did send me those flowers and he did write that card. Okay. Yes, exactly. It's so little things that make us feel loved. Mm -hmm. And when we feel loved, we will give of ourselves so much and and respond. But when you feel unloved, unappreciated or underappreciated and, you know, you're living in a stress pot and nobody takes the time to say, God, this family wouldn't make it without you. Yeah. Those are the things that keep us wanting to give and, yeah. and, and do something for you. And I think that's going to roll into this next point here. So with breast cancer, you have that added layer of intimacy where the breasts are an issue because you've either lost part of them or you've lost all of them. And that can lead to, you know, body image issues. It can lead, like if you've had a a mastectomy, you lose the sensation of your own touch. Well, if they were big players, you know, if your breasts were big players in intimacy prior and now all of a sudden they're, they're not, or it just kind of makes things a little bit different. Or if somebody has an expander, they're hard or, or awkward, you know, my question, I think you kind of just hit on it with this, with the small stuff is how to an in intimacy take the breasts out of the equation and still be intimate. You know, I think that's education of the partner. One of the things I try to tell the surgeons and I tell the women when I have them in here alone, don't tell them you can't feel anything. What's so wrong with that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I personally have had a bilateral mastectomy, and I have never told him that I can't feel. 
Now, sometimes it's awkward because he may be messing with it and I don't notice. (laughs) But you recover. Yeah. And you notice and you move on. But it means a lot to him. Yeah. So one of the things is, why do we have to tell all the men we can't feel anything? Yeah. I talked to one woman one time and her husband was hesitant to to touch her there he he was afraid that he was going to somehow hurt her right and so she was like because some everybody's different some people want to be touched there like don't be afraid of my scars and she would she said i grabbed his hands and i made him touch me there and then others are more you know self-conscious about it too so you have to kind of ask yourself what you want and tell him yeah. What's good for you. Right. I personally didn't want anything to change. And so I've never told him that I don't have any feeling. Yeah. And I just say, oh, yeah, they're perfect. They're fine. Yeah, you they're know? great. They're not mine. <laughs> they glow in the dark. It's perfectly perky. And, you know, but I act like they are. And when he gets excited because mm-hmm. he thinks mm-hmm. I do, then that makes me feel better. Right. And that turns me on. Right. So I think that we don't have to be so open about About that that. you know the surgeons make a big point of saying oh she's not going to have any feeling at all you do get some feeling back over time too yeah and and so i i think that you got to do what's right for you Mm -hmm. for you if it's not good for somebody to touch them you know what? Then you got to start being a butt man or that's something right, else. That's right. You got to find something else that does Find another body part to that's... be enamored with. Right. So, okay. So sex pleasurable, but it also has other positive health benefits in addition to that. What are some of these other health benefits that accompany it? Stress relief. Mm-hmm. There, just think about, I mean, we'll look at makeup sex. You have mm-hmm. a fight. Right. Everything gets better after That's you right. have an orgasm. <laughs> and you're like, what the hell were we fighting about? That's I right. Know. I don't know. <laughs> Stress relief mm-hmm. is number one. Just your adrenal glands. It's mm-hmm. it's everything. It's just that ultimate release and love right. for your partner. I mean, love heals everything. Yes. Right? Yeah. But mainly stress relief, It everything is better when you sit back and have financial problems, everything. You know, even just for that 15 minutes, you're like, ah, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. We got each other. We're going to do this together. It just reinforces the fact that you're one. Right. You're unit. connected. You're a union. You got it together. You got it. And so, blood flow. Right. And blood flow. Okay. So we know that menopause is going to happen to, it's going to happen to women. It's part of the natural process of living. And if you are diagnosed with breast cancer and you have to have some of these treatments, then you might experience a little bit sooner than you would otherwise. How big of a role do you think that shame plays in preventing people from reaching out and asking for help? Oh, huge. Yeah. Huge. And I think that there may be some of the things that my husband and I had said to us. Mm-hmm. You know, that I'm being selfish if I care about having sex. You know, I'm alive and I, and the doctor saved my life. You know, all these doctors saved my life and here I'm being selfish while I want to have sex again. And there, there's probably a component of that. Right. There's a component that even OBGYNs are not comfortable talking about sex. Yeah. Okay. And you would think that's crazy. You saw in the movie menopause is taught in less than 20% of residency programs. You are a great obstetrician and a really good 
gynecologic surgeon and a good gynecologist when you come out of your residency. You are not a menopause specialist by any way, shape, or form, and nobody ever teaches you about sex. The only thing I knew about sex is the sex I had. Right. Personally. Right, right. So nobody teaches you about it, which is why when all this happened, and I I had to stop doing obstetrics because my husband was ill, Mm -hmm. and um, I had two children, and I couldn't be gone eight nights a month, you know, running out. So I gave up OB. And when I gave up obstetrics, all these women were in my office and they're like, well, now that you have the time to talk, you never had time to talk. And I was like, I had time to talk. And they're like, no, you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized I didn't. I was throwing Band-Aids on things. I liked, well, you can try a little estrogen. It could kill you, but try a little estrogen. <laughs> yeah. But I am I needed more training. And right. I got the menopause certification and I got the intimacy counseling right. certification to help people do this. And and I see men and women. Right. And I bring them in separately and together to talk about what he's scared about, what right. she's frightened about, you know. You opened up a new practice, the Georgia Center for Menopausal Medicine. And so this is a new kind of direct primary care. So, so explain to those that might be unfamiliar with how this works. So direct primary care, a lot of people think it's more the concierge practice and it has concierge benefits. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I don't take insurance at all. A concierge practice, you pay your fee to be a part of that practice, and they limit their practice to five to 700 people, say. And then you use your insurance, and it works just like regular. You're just paying that extra fee to get into that practice. Mm-hmm. With direct primary care, your fee is all your medical care for the year. So in this practice, I have either $1,000 a year up front, mm-hmm. or you can pay $100 a month. Mm-hmm. And that is your care for the whole year, no matter what happens. So if you come in and you need your legs stitched up, you got bronchitis, you got a yeast infection, you need intimacy counseling, mm-hmm. you can come as much as you want for that $1,000. So, and, and your husband can come to get the counseling. I do direct primary care for men too now, which yes. I just started about a year ago, but it's mainly the husband's of your patients. Right. And I take care of the whole family. So um, how can how can our listeners find you in the world then? Well, I'm on um, Skidaway Island in Savannah, Georgia, and basically at menopausalmedicine.com. Okay. And, you know, you have to be in Savannah. You have to be in Georgia. Right. Uh, for, for me to take care of somebody because I only have a Georgia license to practice medicine. So, okay. So what about those that aren't local, if they're having issues, who should they call or how can they go about finding some of this post-cancer menopausal support? Ah, great question. So menopausal practitioners, if you go to the menopause.org website, that's the North American Menopause Society, Mm -hmm. menopause.org, and you can put in your zip code and find a menopause practitioner, certified menopause practitioner. Okay. And then if you're interested in direct primary care, which I personally think is the solution to our, we don't have a healthcare crisis in this country, yeah. in my opinion. We have the best healthcare in the world. People come from all over the world to the United States for care. We have an insurance crisis. Yeah. And what, what direct primary care does is it bypasses the insurance company. So I'm not negotiating with them at all. I'm taking this fee. I get a you know monthly salary that I can 
depend upon and I can spend, I have hour long appointments. I go through everything and vaccines and head to toe exams and just take care of everything that you might need. And you can come as much as you want. If you're interested in direct primary care, there's over 250 practices taking care of close to a million people now. Um, And you can go to dpcare.org, dpcare.org, directprimarycare.org. To be able to, to get into that that and kind of and find a direct primary care physician. I do want to talk one one more moment so that people that I know we've talked about it a little bit throughout the episode here, but your book, your and they made a documentary off of your book, which is amazing. <laughs> like I mean, well done. Thank like you. you wanted to get off on this mission and have this conversation going. We have got this conversation going. So, and it is fantastic. But the the book that they made the documentary off of is Love, Sweat, and Tears keeping romance alive after menopause right um where can people find that so the kindle version the e-version is on amazon and then the book is in my store Mm -hmm. um online menopausalmedicine.com you can also go to itunes and download the um documentary yes itunes and amazon have the documentary and then i have dvds for sale yeah as well here is there anything that you want our listeners to know about your book or the documentary? I want women to know that they are not alone after they finish their reproductive years. I know they go and sit in an OBGYN's office in there with all these pregnant women and they feel, gosh, I, I'm not even part of this anymore. But there are doctors out there who want to take care of just menopausal women. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of us out here. Yeah, You just, you got to look. The menopause.org is, is a great place to find them. And we have the little case in your backpack. Yes. Okay? Oh, I love for that. menopausal patients. We we have the moisturizer and the lubricant and and the vibrator and I, you know I want you to use it and I want you to go to the gym every day right. and use it and you know it's just like how often do I do this? Well, if you do one sit up a day, you're not going to get six pack abs very fast, right? Yeah. But if you pull a Herschel Walker <laughs> and you do. <laughs> A thousand sit-ups in the morning and a thousand sit-ups at night, you're going to get six-pack abs, right? Yeah. The more you bring blood supply to your vagina, the quicker that it's going to come back and you can get it back. So if somebody's out there and you can't get a finger in your vagina or... Doesn't mean all is lost. It's not lost. Think about that little boy with the cat. You have got to go to the gym. Right. You've got to work it. You've got to use your moisturizer. If you can use estrogen stimulate those estrogen receptors, do your physical therapy and get it back. You can get it back. I know I've seen it. Yes. Oh, that's awesome to hear. That's like, you just wrapped that up perfectly. My all time favorite thing to ask everybody is what is one thing that you want women to walk away knowing from this podcast? And that's beautifully said right there is that you're not alone. (laughs) It's not the end. This is a part that happens to everybody. And if you've gone through breast cancer and these treatments, it might be a little bit more accelerated, but that doesn't mean that all is lost. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so very blessed to have you with us. You're welcome. And thank you to all y'all at home listening. If you're liking the episodes that I'm putting together for you here, then hit subscribe, share them, tell a friend. Together, let's let women know that they are not alone. I look forward to speaking with you guys again next week. Until then, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.